Welcome to Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. An interesting question uh, came in and, and it said this, what should Christians think about civil disobedience? The viewer wrote in and he said this, Acts 5.29 and Romans 13.1-2 and others can uh, each be quoted out of context to make our path uh, seem simple. Well, how does the Christian rightly determine his or her responsibility in a given situation? Now, these passages address a Christian's relationship to civil government, especially when to obey God's commands as the priority over government laws or why we should obey man-made government laws. So all Christians are aliens and exiles in our native countries. We belong to another kingdom, another culture. However, we live in a nation, the nation of our birth, and so obedience to government laws is an important issue for Christians and, in my estimation, becoming more important for the church. So first, let's look at these two passages that were cited. The story in Acts is that Peter and the apostles were arrested by the Jewish religious authorities uh, and they were ordered not to preach in Jesus' name. And here's how the story unfolded. The high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, the second passage is Paul's. It's from Romans 13, his letter to the Romans. And I want to read the entire paragraph because it raises important other issues like paying taxes. So here's what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you, live, uh, would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Well, then do what is right, and, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too, for the same reasons. For government workers, they need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now, I, I'm gonna add one more comment uh, from Peter, who himself practiced uh, civil and religious disobedience twice. He said this, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as the head of the state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make false accusations against you. For you are free, yet uh, you are 
uh, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Now, from these scriptures, we see that a Christian's obligation is to respect government officials and to subordinate ourselves to their authority, which includes paying taxes. The motivating reason is the recognition that all authority is from God and there is no authority outside God's will. He put that official in that place of government. And remember, who was the ultimate human authority in Paul's day? Nero, who was easily one of the most immoral and unth unethical rulers of the day. And yet, even Jesus was aware that his disciples would run afoul of some governing authorities. Here's what he said in Mark 13. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are, uh, are arrested and uh, brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you who's speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So civil disobedience is as old as the Old Testament, and we should be thankful. Otherwise, you know, there would be no Moses, there would have been no Exodus, there would have been no Pentateuch. In the story of Moses' birth, the Pharaoh commanded the Hebrew midwives to drown all Hebrew boys when they were born, drown them in the Nile at the moment of their birth. The midwives refused Pharaoh's command, saying that Hebrew women were just so much more robust than the Egyptian women that the boys were born before the midwives could even get there. Their disobedience and their explanation brought God's commendation and blessing on them. Rahab, the prostitute living in Jericho, hid the Israelite slaves from civil authorities. And for her civil uh, disobedience, she and her entire family were rescued when the Israelite army attacked and conquered the city. The Old Testament prophet, Obadiah, he hid a few thousand prophets from the clutches of Jezebel. Uh, Daniel and his three friends refused to worship the golden idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And in Revelation, we see that those who refused to worship the beast were killed for their disobedience. The consideration that ties all of these examples of civil disobedience together was the faithfulness to God first and above all, above all government authorities who enacted unjust or unrighteous laws. The state isn't the highest authority for a Christian. Whenever government demands conflict with the dictates of conscience informed by God's word or directly contradicts God's word, Christians are obligated to obey God by disobeying unjust laws. But, and here's an important personal consideration to put into your equation, our disobedience is to be conducted in a nonviolent way and to obey the command to subordinate ourselves to the governing authorities. That means that we must be ready to accept the consequences for our disobedience. There are some laws that the state has no right to demand or enact. But under ordinary circumstances, Christians should actively support civil government and the institution created by God in its, uh, in, in its ministry, as Paul called it, to promote good laws and, and a good ordering of society. 
Now, this raises the question for us of what are just and unjust laws and how do we deal with them? Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa in the fifth century, and Thomas Aquinas, a Roman Catholic theologian in the 13th century, they agreed on unjust laws. As Augustine said, a law which is not just does not seem to me to be a law at all. Obedience to an unjust law is not required. Both theologians agreed then, as do Christians today, that a truly just law is one that originates in God's character of goodness and righteousness. Uh, take the example of Rosa Parks who refused to obey the segregation laws of Alabama in the 1950s. Those laws forced blacks to sit in the blacks only section in the back of a city bus, or even if they were in the black only section, she had to give up her seat to a white person if it was needed. Now, Parks was told by a white person uh, and the bus driver to give up her seat, and she refused. She was threatened with arrest, to which she replied, you go right ahead. And at the very next stop, she was arrested and charged with violating the Montgomery, Alabama segregation laws. Segregation laws are unjust laws because they violate the character of God who creates all people, regardless of color, in his image. Thus. They deserve dignity and equal treatment under the law. And a law that is unjust when it singles out a particular group for unequal treatment should not be obeyed. The discussion of unjust laws is an ethical one that needs careful consideration. Now, we may not like a law, but our preference doesn't make it unjust. Aquinas elaborated on this question. I can only give you a synopsis. Uh, first of all, a law must be reasonable and, and not enacted for the purposes of gaining power over a population. In his thinking, reason or reasonable law corresponds with the natural law or the rational, reasonable thinking of God. Second, a law must aim for the common good of a whole community. However, the common good may require sacrifice or even hardship on some people for the benefit of others. But no law should segment a particular group for unjust treatment. An example of this would be the taxation of only millionaires and billionaires while everyone else doesn't pay their taxes. Now third, a just law must come with the authority to enact penalties when disobeyed. And fourth, a law must be declared and well publicized. If it's not, ignorance can actually be an excuse. However, you know that speed limit sign that you see? It's standing there as if God himself put it right there at that spot, and whether you saw it or not, you'd be guilty of your speeding. In that case, ignorance is no excuse because it was plainly publicized. Now, there's much more to Aquinas' thoughts, especially on the criteria necessary for civil disobedience. It's quite nuanced and thought-provoking, but we're not gonna get into that here today. If you want to explore this treatise on laws, it's called, you can see it in his massive work, The Summa Theologica. So what general guidelines can direct a Christian's consideration for acts of civil disobedience when unjust laws are forced on a society? Well, first of all, Christians should resist a government that commands or compels any evil law and should work in nonviolent ways within the laws of that land to change the government that permits the evil. For example, if a law demands that a Christian doctor must perform abortions or recommend abortions or else lose her job, that doctor is right to disobey that law. However, with the act, comes submission to the penalty, whether loss of job or fines or sanctions of any other kind. 
What is not allowed in an act of civil disobedience is the willful destruction of property. Trespassing is against the law. But if you participate in a, in a sit-in, you'll be subject to an arrest on a misdemeanor violation probably, and you may spend some time in jail or maybe pay a financial penalty. A friend of mine and a pastor I know uh, were both arrested outside abortion clinics back in the 1980s for trespassing, and they accepted the penalties that came. They did the right thing, in my opinion, in both conduct and submission. Now, all that to say that if a Christian can flee from an evil government, he or she should do that. But disobedience towards that government will bring punishments, and they should be accepted. And Christian, Christians should, when they're able, work for political candidates who support policies that support the common good. The very least Christians can do is vote in every election, even for the dog catcher who is pro-life. Now the last thing that's important to remember is the church's obligation to pray for our leaders. Knowing that God appoints our leaders to serve his purposes and knowing that not all our leaders fear God and that some are interested in the common good while others are interested in having power, the church is obligated to pray for them. Here's what Paul said. I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks uh, for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Well, that's it for today. Be sure to send us your questions or your thoughts. Uh, go to cornerstonebv.org, the website, and look for the Wisdom 828 tab. Scroll down, send in your question or your thoughts or your objections. I'd love to read them. Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom 828, and thanks for Steve Dion, who partners with me to make Wisdom 828 fulfill its mission to stamp out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You be of good cheer.